idea of the Christian life. Paul is speaking here to the Hebrews, and the Hebrews basically had an understanding of some things. They looked highly upon their forefathers, right? Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They talk about being the sons of Abraham. And it's interesting because here is uh, Paul speaking here. He says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so does easily, easily beset us. He's talking about those witnesses are those people that have gone on before us. Now, I got a question for you, and you're probably going to give me the right answer. But what, what are we supposed to do with those witnesses? Are we running the race for the witnesses? Or are we running the race because of what the witnesses have told us? Mm. I'm going to ask that again. Are we running the race for the credit of the witnesses? Okay, there we go. I knew it. I got a shake of the head. That's right. No. Some people take this and say, well, look at all the witnesses that are watching us. We should do right. No. The only reason we do right today is before Jesus Christ. Okay. It's not for anybody else. It doesn't even matter who's gone on before us. Well, my grandma, she was a good saint. And I, she's probably looking down to heaven right now and saying, boy, look at, look at little Johnny. No. We don't need to worry about her. We need to worry about Christ. Worry about God Almighty. And so this verse gets taken out of context so much. Because really the witnesses, what they're telling us is, look, we could do it. God gave us the strength to do it. You can do it as well. And he says, look, these are the, some of the things, good and bad. He says, look, the witnesses are going to do things that they shouldn't have done. We can, we can talk about Moses, and he hit the rock, right? Uh, we can talk about Abraham, where he lied to um, the Pharaoh and basically allowed himself, or Bimelech, and allowed himself uh, to get in trouble with his wife being his sister. I mean, there's all kinds of things. You can talk about Jacob. Woo! We could have spent all night on that one. But all these things God used to help us remind us that there is a race to be run. And so we find in Hebrews 12.1, the Bible telling us that we are to look unto Jesus, or 12.2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Well, before we go any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you that you just please again. Thank you for the encouragement that you've given today. As Brother Tony reminded me, there is my love note. And I just ask that you just continue to bless Lord, the church and the people here. God, there is a race to be run, and there's a victory to be won. I ask you, Lord God, that that would be our goal today, to, to run the race and run it well. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Christian race is pictured as a race, an inspiring thought. It's literally called a wholehearted surrender to God. Can you get picture of someone who runs the Olympics, right? They're getting ready to run down to uh, wherever. And I did a little bit of research on the Olympics and all that comes with it. And I'm not going to re-preach my message about the purpose of a race. But the idea there that they are fixed upon one goal, and that is to win the prize. And what is that prize? That is the heavenly calling that Christ has given us, the glory of Jesus Christ, our Father. When we stand before the throne of God, we'll have what? The crowns to lay at his feet right? We'll have the gay, uh, I had uh, gold, I, went, I combined wood, hay, and stubble with gold, silver, and precious stones. Gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, and whatever the fire doesn't devour, that's what we give over to Christ, right? We understand the idea that God has given us, and that is to run the race with perseverance 
and with patience. And that's every race that you have. It doesn't matter what you do. Perseverance and with patience. Uh, patience is really an important aspect because if we don't have patience, we'll say it's not fast enough. It's not done quickly enough. And so in your marriage, if you're not running the race correctly, guess what? You're going to give up. There's no patience. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing, so you shall reap if you what? Faint not. There is a importance of patience and perseverance. We can always look to Christ. And this way we do it is by looking to him, to Jesus Christ for our help. What are two things that we can look to Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. We look to him for salvation and we look to him for strength. I told Brother Sam this morning, I said, I felt like some of the things I was doing with my own finances were based upon the fact that I was doing things out of the flesh and out of the spirit. I need to trust the Lord even in my finances. I might say, well, I can do it. I can take care of it, but I can't. I really need God to do it. And that's when I frustrate the grace of God by not being faithful to what he's given me to do and say, Lord, you help me. You encourage me. We need to look to Jesus Christ. As he says here, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When you look to someone that built something, uh, I constantly work on um, machinery. Um, I work currently on machines that you can be able to fix for uh, the eye doctor. You go to the eye doctor, you put your, they tell you, look in there, and they put this big old flashlight, and boom, it takes a picture of your, the back of your eye. It takes a picture of your iris. It takes a picture of all that topography. And before long, guess what? Those things will break. Now, do I try to say, well, I'm going to try to reverse engineer this and try to figure out how this works? No, I go back to the manufacturer and I look at the manual. And the manual says, the service manual says, this is how this is fixed. This is how you troubleshoot it. Why? Because if I go back and try to do it on my own understanding, I will mess it up. In your own faith, in your own race, you have to understand the life that you're living needs to be looked through the lens of Christ. Through his service manual of your life. Take the time to acknowledge that Christ is the one who's designed you. Christ is the one who can make you whole. Christ is the one who gives you the victory through his son, Jesus. Or God gives you the victory through his son, Jesus Christ. And when you look through the manual that Jesus Christ provides for you, you will find the most important facts that you can't do it. You need him to figure it out for you. No, I think Christians sometimes get so wrapped up in their own strength and they don't realize they're wimpy, wimpy, wimpy. I remember the old commercial, right? Hefty had the uh, bags out, right? You pulled them out and, and uh, I love that commercial. I don't know why. It was one of the commercials that just stuck in my head. Pulled the bag out and, and the big guy would go out there and he would shake it and guess what? The regular bag with everything would fall out the bottom of the garbage bag and they go wimpy, 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 right? And then the big guy would come out and he'd have the hefty bag and he'd go, hefty, hefty, hefty. You know, in the same sense, Christians are like that. You come before the Lord and you can say, hefty, 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 right? And then if you try to do it on your own, it's going to be whippy, 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 right? There is a responsibility that you have through Christ to understand that your life is wrapped up in him. And if you try to do it on your own, you're going to get the same little wimpy guy calling, hey, I can't do this. Because you can't. You got no strength. I have Nolan over here. He's three and a half. And he's got a mind of his own. I don't know if it's just the boy or if it's just who he is. 
but he wants to do things on his own. He wants to get dressed on his own. Uh, he wants to do things all by himself. Girls were the same way. But they realize that there are some things they just can't do. Last night, uh, Adeline, Chloe, and Mom were trying to take some things off my plate. They always love when I give illustrations because, like, what's he going to talk about next? But they, 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 they were trying to take some things off my plate. Um, the uh, reverse osmosis system had gotten broken. And so I'm, I'm just trying to do everything I can. I don't know what I was doing. I was probably being lazy. I don't know. But they were trying to be a blessing to me. And so uh, I think part of it was the punishment for the girls. But my wife was trying to be a blessing to me anyway. And so she's over there and she's asking the girls to do this and do this. And I'm hearing in the background and my everything in me is saying, go over there, go over there, go over there. They're not going to get this right. Go over there. My perfectionism sometimes gets a little bit out of the best of me. And I'm just still over there. I go, no, they can do this. They can do this. They got the ability. They got the... And then all of a sudden, my wife's like, it's leaking all over. I just give it. We'll do it. This is Thursday night, remind you. Ah, it's leaking. I, I'm like, no, I want water, and I'm going to get it tonight. So I go over there, and I realize the problem wasn't so much that they didn't know how to do it. They just didn't have the, Brooklyn didn't have the strength to tighten that faucet down hard enough so that it wouldn't move. And if, I, if you don't tighten it down hard enough, then everything else doesn't work right. If I gave it over them, I should have known. They don't have the strength. They don't have the ability. And your relationship with Christ, it's the same way. You don't have the ability. You don't have the strength. And when you do it on your own, it's going to leak. It's going to mess up. Run the race with the author of it. Run the race with the person that has the strength. Run the race with the person that has the understanding. Run the race with the credibility that comes through Christ. Number two. Every race is run a prescribed course. Sister Kim, I'm going to have to admit something here tonight. Sister Kim was a blessing. She helped me out with a um, bug bite that had gotten infected. And uh, she prescribed some antibiotics to help me. And I didn't take all of them. I got through about half and I said, oh, that looks good. It's gone. Two weeks later, it was as round as it could get. I mean, it was going... All the way around. And I thought, oh no. I, was, I didn't want to go back to Sister Kim and say, Sister Kim, I didn't take it all. Right? Instead, I says, Cassie, I'm going to have to go to the doctor. Thankfully, my wife is super cheap. And she's like, no, you're not going to go back to the doctor. So she scoured the cabinets. And she found some, some, uh, uh, some topical cream uh, that basically... Uh, or not topical cream, uh, topical antibiotics that she could be able to even, it took care of it. Praise God. No bone problems. But Sister Kim prescribed it to me. There was a certain amount that I had to take, and I had to finish them. If I didn't finish them, guess what? That prescribed course was not going to work. You have a prescribed course in your Christian life. It's interesting here, I read in preparing this and and trying to understand this, I read this story about a runner uh, that basically, and this is just to illustrate this point. All we do outside the realm is useless service and we receive no reward. Now you say, what does that mean, Pastor? That means everything that you do in the flesh is not going to help you. You can come to church in the flesh. You can give in the flesh. You can raise your children in the flesh. 
You can try to read your Bible in the flesh. You can pray in the flesh. And when I say in the flesh, you do it by your own good character. You just pull yourself up by the, the bootstraps and say, I can do it. Because guess what? You can't. There's a prescribed course. And I read this story. If you look it up, it's a really famous story. There's a 39-year-old man in 1994. His name was Prosperi. Um, he was with 80 other runners, and he was running an ultra marathon. Now, I don't know how many that is. It says it's 60 miles of terrain. And this is not just in anywhere. This is in um, Monaco. It's almost a desert-type area. It says, all competitors began running together in the morning, yet due to a small number of participants and differing paces of each individual, each person was running almost entirely alone. Abiding to race regulation, Prosperi navigated the desert in a self-contained fashion. He carried all his necessities for survival. Due to the intensity of the wind-blown sand grains upon his sin, Prosperi experienced bleeding within his nose and injuries in his throat, whilst bleeding in particles of sand. It was not until that evening, following the storm's passing, that he stopped to rest by a sheltering in a bush and covering his face with a towel. The following morning, the winds had halted. He awoke and continued to run for four hours, convinced he would find other competitors of the race. However, following a climb to the summit of a tall dune, Prosperi was unable to identify any other participants. Furthermore, he realized that all signs and landmarks indicating the race trail had disappeared following the storm. Here's this man in the middle of nowhere. He's running a race that's 60 miles long, and he doesn't know where he's at because every indication is gone. So what does he do? He tries to find his way. It says here, uh, by this time, he says, he also noted the liquid in his water bottle depleting and attempting to drink the remaining water in his bottle slowly as he could. Because each stopping point was a place for them to obtain more water. He was soon rescued by some Bedouins, but not until after he had, now listen to this, he had wandered 180 miles off of the course. In the middle of the desert. You want to read the story, it's a very interesting story. He, 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 he basically, his family and his wife presumed he was dead. He remained at the infirmary in Algeria for seven days during which he called his wife. Now it's interesting, this story describes exactly the Christian. You wander away from where God puts you. You run a race, and you get sidetracked, right? You got a little ADHD going on, right? Oh, oh what is that? Right? And you're doing one of these numbers. Right? You're running over here, and you're supposed to be going down that path, but you're doing one of these. And you do it like the sideways run. You think you're running forward and you're going to fall off on the little boulder here, you know. But you just do this one of these runs. Oh, yeah, I'm running where I should be, right? And you're actually running away from the will of God. Jonah did that. Many people in the Bible have done that. David did that. God has given us a prescribed course. You've got to stay on it. You know, the Bible says to what? See if you're in the faith. Check yourself. See where you're at in your faith. And I've, I've preached on this to make a checklist of where you're at spiritually. You know, there are things that can tell us that we're living by faith, and there are things that can tell us that we're not. You know, one of those things is anger. One of those things is fear. One of those things is worry. 
When you're off the prescribed course, you will continually be on a sense of fear. Because why? The Bible says that we are not given a spirit of fear, but of love and joy and a what? Sound mind. You want to see if you're on the prescribed course that God has given you? Ask yourself, are you fearing things? Because God doesn't give us that fear. I think that's another message I need to preach it another day, but I think it's a great understanding. Where is your fear at? Fear or faith? Christian, listen to me. There is a race to be run, and each race has a track. If you run too far, guess what? You'll end up in a wrong place. And you know what? It could be the death of you. I've heard of other runners who have ran too far. My own self, I remember, and I've told this illustration before as a kid. We ran uh, the, the dunes for, for soccer. And we'd all get on the bus, and Mr. Wright would get us out, and we'd go to the uh, bogs is what they called them. How many of you ever been to the bogs and the dunes? Anybody? Okay. My wife has. We used to walk it. Chloe, she was quite a trooper when she was about two. She walked like two miles straight. Didn't have a problem. I had Brooklyn on my back, and Chloe was walking. I was, I was proud of her. She made daddy proud, you know. But, you know, I remember we would run these bogs, and there was one point where there was a split in the trail. The one side of the trail took you out to Lake Michigan, and you knew you were at the end, and you turned back and ran all the way back to the bus. Then there was another split in the trail, and that took you another three miles out of your way. And some guys would not pay attention when Mr. Wright would stand up. He says, listen, boys, these are split in the trail. Make sure you take the yellow and not the blue. Well... As some kids that are doing right now, not listening to their father, uh, they sit there and went, what? Right, Adam? And they didn't know what to think. And so basically when it came time to the split in the trail, they took the wrong way. And Mr. Wright would always say, listen, boys, if you don't get to the bus at this time period, you'll have to run back home. And my, it was like three miles back home. And I remember there would be boys that would be just stupid enough to go down the wrong path and they realize they're wrong, and so they start heading back, and they, the bus is taken off, and they're running behind it trying to catch up with it. You say, why was that? Because they didn't stay on the prescribed course. Christian, you have a responsibility before God to say, Lord, what do you want me to live? How do you want me to act? How do you want me, what, what course do you want me to take? Again, the, the, this, this, the uh, verse for today that I've been saying over and over again, Proverbs 3, 5, 6, What? Trust the Lord in all thy heart. Lean on to thine own understandings and all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he will what? Direct thy paths. There is a prescribed course. Let's, let's follow it. Realize that if you go off that course, it could mean death. It could mean sickness. You need to be faithful to the spiritual course that God has given you. Number three, every race has certain rules and regulations. The Bible says that if a man, in 2 Timothy 2, 5, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is, not, not, yet is he not crowned, except he strive what? Lawfully. How many know Lance Armstrong? For years, the man was the myth, the legend, the man. Man, myth, legend. He was the person that was all-time best cyclist. Tour de France. I don't know how many years he took it. They had the Livestrong. How many had one of those? The little yellow bracelets. The Livestrong yellow bracelets that every guy uh, that it was a sissy. I mean, every guy that, that had one would wear. And so they would run and they would run these uh, races. He was a cyclist. He was a, 
uh, one of the best cyclists in the world. And so he basically would uh, uh, praise him. And then he found out years, years later that he was in a doping scheme. He literally would recycle his blood before he would go to every race. I don't know how they do it. Somehow they would take the blood out, take out the stuff, and then put it back in. It was really weird. Now, what, are they, what does your dad do? Chelation. Kind of a, that type of situation. And it was all over the news. The guy was a scam. All of these things, he'd been nothing but doping, but he had found a way to get away with it, or so he thought. Now, as you think about this idea of the rules and regulation that God has given you, do it lawfully. The glory of the race begins and ends with the author and finish of our faith. If you're doing things through the flesh, what are you doing? You're doing it through your abilities. Run the race according to God's rules. Not looking to yourself, not looking to your own glorification, not looking for someone else's glorification, but for God's. Number five, or number four, every race has a starting place. Now, this is very simple. I'm not going to belabor it. I know most folks here, and I think most of the people here are saved. I could be wrong. Maybe one or two are not. But the starting place, of course, starts with the blood of Jesus Christ, his atonement. Number six, or number five, I got my points up here messed up. There are many discouragements that come with running this race. Don't ever take these discouragements to heart. There are trials, there are tribulations. When those come, you need to learn to deal with them in the way that God wants you to. I'm kind of going through these points real quickly because I'm going to dwell on the last point, which is the hindrances in the race. I myself have ran a few times when me and Cassie about mm, 10, 10 years ago, we decided to run a five. Well, she didn't. I did run a 5K. And I was about as heavy as I am now, maybe a little bit lighter. I remember I was running a full hour and I got out there and I decided to run this race with my brother-in-law. Of course, there were things that could hinder me from being someone that ran this race. And we know in Galatians 5, 7, it says, ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Now listen, there's always going to be obstacles in your Christian life when it comes to running. What are those obstacles? Well, we all know the world, the flesh, and Satan, right? And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are all aspects that are hindrances. It's funny. So I took a second and I says, let's just see what Google said about things that prevent you, hinder you from running. Just Google it. Wouldn't you know it? I pulled it up and it gave me seven different reasons that have biblical verses that go along with it. That, now, I applied the biblical verses. It was applied directly to running. So I looked them up. And so the first one that I found, which I thought was so interesting, was a lack of a social circle. Now, you say, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, when you go out running, it was so nice because my wife was a blessing. My dad was a blessing. Actually, he ran the race with me. Uh, we would go out and run together sometimes. Uh, the verse says, can two walk together except they agree? Can two run together except they agree? No. Uh, because guess what? That partner is important. Now, a lack of a social circle. They says, listen, you need to be in a group that can encourage you and bring you along and help you run the race. Now, I thought, boy, if that's not a hit and a smack in the head, the importance of the church, I don't know what is. God has given us the church, as I preached this morning, as an encouragement to you. 
Now, there's a few verses I want you to take into considerability. Not only does the church give you the encouragement, but it also keeps you accountable. When you run and you have someone saying, hey, Brother Tony, did you run this morning? Oh, no, I didn't. The next week, Brother Tony, did you run? No, I didn't. Eventually, you're going to say, I don't want to go back and see Brother Teasdale because he's going to ask me, did you run? So I'm going to get up and run. Why? Because you realize someone is there keeping you accountable. Now, there are so many things that we can deal with in this situation of accountability. There's some verses, though, I want you to think about. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, that's a sermon in itself. But the idea there is that your accountability helps people to pray for you. You know, I've asked folks to pray for me in my anger. I've asked people to pray for me in my fleshly understanding of finances. I've asked the, the folks to help me with these things. And I ask them because why? I want people to help me get healed of my own fleshly understanding. You look at yourself and people are so, um, what I say, deceitful towards their brothers and sisters in Christ. They know what's right, and they know that they're not doing right, but they want to put on a good face. They want to say, well, I don't want so-and-so to know because then they'll look at me differently. Truth is, is that if you have a good Christian church who loves you, and listen, I'm not saying that every person needs to know all your problems. Someone that you know loves you. Someone who you know trusts, you can trust. Someone who you know will take things to prayer and say, God, please help this individual with this situation. There should be a sense that you want someone to help you with that accountability. Proverbs tells us in 27 verse 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. You know, when someone goes through a problem, you look at them, and maybe this is your problem. Maybe the reason why you don't want to be accountable is because maybe you do the same thing. If someone came to you, how would you react with a problem? The Bible even tells us to what restore such a one. Why? So you yourself can realize, hey, I need to watch myself on this. Accountability is important. Listen, I think accountability is great for men and their eyes and their understanding there, their anger and their wrath. Women, um, I, don't, I don't specifically know what God would deal with you on. I know my wife. She probably would have some things that she needs to be accountable on. Maybe it's her devotion. Maybe it's her uh, time with the kids or maybe her own anger. But I'm sure there are things that we each deal with every day that we need the Lord God's almighty ability through other Christians to encourage you. Say, hey, how was your week on anger? How was your week on lust? How was your week on your finances? How was your week on dealing with people? Every one of those things can be what? Brought to accountability. Now, I'm not saying every person is going to, you're going to have to speak to every person in the church and share every one of your faults with them, but find a person that you trust and you love. And you know they love you. Number two, there's a lack of a social circle, but number two, you're using the wrong gear. Now, I am a gear nut in more ways than one. When I get into something, my wife knows this, I have to go get the best 
things to do that job. Now, Brother Sahib, he might laugh at me with my infatuation with Harbor Freight, but I am a Harbor Freight fiend. Now, that's not always the best tools. So me and Brother uh, Sahib was out here changing Brother Ellis's tire or his brakes, and he got out there, and he was wrenching on it, and he cracked my Harbor Freight, one of my favorite tools, basically in two. And I was sick. I was like, oh, man. Not that it was a big deal, because I can go back to Harbor Freight and change it in. But it wasn't the best tool to take care of the job. Harbor Freight is Chinese tools that are super cheap that I can afford. And I can get them exchanged if they break. Listen, it wasn't the best tool, though. It didn't take care of the job. It could have been a bigger tool. It could have been a stronger tool. But the idea is there that I had the wrong type of wrench for the job. And how about you? The Bible tells us that we're not to operate out of this flesh, but the spirit. John 4, 24 says, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The Bible says, put on the what? Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the what? For the flesh. Every day you get on and you put it on. You wouldn't go outside in the middle of winter without a nice winter, warm winter jacket, would you? Why would you do the same thing when you walked into a fleshly world full of fleshly people trying to uh, uh, be deceived by Satan to make you be fleshly? Put Jesus Christ on in the morning before you get out the day. We believe in coffee, as some of us do, right? Tony, would you leave the house without a cup of coffee in your hand? <laughs> what do they call that, liquid courage? No, that's something else. But you know what? You get up in the morning, you make that coffee. Why? Because it gives you the drive, the energy, what you need to do in the morning. Well, what is Jesus Christ to you? Is he that encouragement? Is he that uh, goal in your life, realizing that if you don't have it, you won't be able to succeed in what you're doing? forget your lunch, you go back and get it. I would even say, if you forget your phone, how many people would go back and get it? What if you forgot Jesus Christ this morning? Would you go back and get him? Don't use the wrong gear. Put on Jesus Christ. Number three, boredom with your running route. Boredom with your running route. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. I had a guy one time tell me that, why are these things so grievous to him? And I says, well, there's two reasons. Number one, you have sin in your life. Or number two, you're not saved. You say, does God bring you joy in the service of the king? I'll have to be honest with you, there's times when I didn't have joy. And I have to look and say, why don't I have joy? Why don't I have peace? Why don't I have that understanding? It goes back to the fact that I'm bored with the Christian life. I haven't given it to Jesus. It's become grievous. It's become hard. It's become something you don't want to do. If you find yourself dragging your feet on the service of the king, you need to get your heart checked. Realize that because you have that spirit, there might be something wrong with your spirit. 
There might be some sin that's preventing you from having that joy, that excitement, that love. I remember when I first started started taking over pastoring. Boy, I had grand, grand desires. Lord Almighty was going to do a miracle. There was going to be a revival breakout tomorrow. And you know what? You work and you work and you work and you see things happen and you get discouraged. And before long, I could feel myself doing this, getting ready to preach in the morning. It's like my dog, when it's raining outside or snowing, and you have to take him potty. Right? The cat takes one look at the outside and goes, nope. Right? How about you? I gave you my example. How are you with your Christian life and service of the king? We mentioned soul winning. Is it hard to put tracks in your pocket? Is it hard to talk to your neighbor when you see them about Christ? Is it hard to talk to that person at the counter? Maybe you need to get your heart checked. Don't be bored with it. It's not grievous. Number four, tired of your distance. When you're running and you're running a long ways, all you can think about when you're running is like how many more miles and how many more minutes. <laughs> what does the Bible tell us? Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. But we be, brethren, it's funny, it's this, this phrase is used twice, be not weary in well-doing, in 2 Thessalonians 3.13. They that wait upon the Lord shall what? Renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, it says in Isaiah. They shall run and not grow what? Weary. They shall walk and not faint. Christian, your weariness, again, comes back to your own understanding. God, gives, have to, or God does have to do the job. Why are you weary? Because you're doing it. If everybody had to do the job that, uh, of traveling, if I had to tell my brother uh, Tony and sister Sabrina they couldn't use a car or use a bus, they'd have to walk to church every day. I don't think brother Tony and sister Sabrina would be here very much, would they? How long have they drive? Like 10 miles? Maybe it's five miles, I don't know, something like that. The way the crow flies, maybe five, ten miles. How about a sister? I, I know we, we, we want to we wanna think, but how many times are we like, you know what, that's ten miles away. I don't know if I want to do that or not. It's raining outside. But you think about it for a second. When you have a car taking care of that job, protects you from the elements, keeps you on high and dry, you don't have a problem doing it. All about your Christian life. Are you using Christ as that vehicle to protect you from this uh, onslaught of Satan? Are you using Christ to help you over, overcome your flesh and don't let it give you the dictates of the flesh? Number five, not having the right training plan. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now is, and of that which is to come. I love this verse, not because it gives me reason not to bodily exercise, um, but it gives me the understanding that the most important thing is, is to exercise godliness. And if you don't exercise that godliness, you'll never be able to have spiritual muscles. Dr. Coley was horrified this morning that I used her as an example on her 
not-so-soon uh, dating life. Or courtship life, I should say dating life. And someday he's going to have, what did I say, Chloe? Can't repeat it, she's so embarrassed. Muscles galore, right? Muscles galore. He just flexes and you're like, whoa, you know? But you know, it's the truth that if you're not spiritually harnessing the power of God upon your life, when those times come, when those trials come, you won't be able to feed them. Why? Because you're spiritually weak. That's why it's important in the times when you're uh, high on that mountain and God has given you some wonderful things and, and the things seem like it's going right is to stay in the word of God in prayer. Because you've got to keep exercising those muscles. Sister Andrea, what if you lay in bed all day and don't get up for three weeks, four weeks? What's going to happen to your body? <laughs> Maybe. What else? The true. Good point. Let's say the boys fed you. What would happen? You'd be overweight. She's, she's dancing all around this issue. You couldn't walk, right? Your muscles would be weak. Might be longer than that. I don't know. Um, Eric Little. If you ever read the story, it's a great story. But a young man that was a runner went to the, ran in the Olympics, and uh, basically, when he was born, though he was born with, I think it was a disease or he had an accident. He laid in bed and all could not walk. It was Eric Little, I think it was, and he basically got up and started walking. Doctor said he couldn't walk again. Got up, started walking, and he started running, and he continued to run. Didn't stop running. You know, all those times he started running gave him the ability to be what he should have been, which is an Olympic runner. And listen, Christian, you have a great responsibility to exercise it. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Exercise that mind. You say, Pastor, why are you always talking about reading books? And again, I wasn't a good reader before I became a pastor. But you know what I found as... I've begun pastoring how important it is to read. I found, wow, there's so much more that I need to know. We got, and I encourage you, go downstairs, look at the, uh, just tell me what you're checking out so I can get it back. But if there's a book down there that you can read that'll help you in understanding, why not? Be an encouragement. Get the right training program. Number six. <laughs> I thought this was kind of funny. He said the best way the hindrances is running without music. The Bible says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual song, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. There's nothing more encouraging to listening to a good song that's, that's good music. You say, Pastor, what is good music? You know, I encourage you. We just, I just uncovered a whole bunch of CDs in the back that are completely, I don't know, we paid like five bucks a piece for them. But I'm sure that uh, if we'll give away some for birthdays, but if you want some good music, there's plenty of, of online listening. There's iTunes, uh, not iTunes, Abiding Radio on TuneIn. There's different uh, radio programs. I know uh, First Baptist of Hammond has a, a great radio uh, program on 90.5, good music, good preaching. And, I, you know, I, I say that, um, but how many times do we not take that, we have that spirit, and instead of, Dealing with the spirit by listening to some good godly music, we instead just kind of bode in it. And we kind of fester in it. Take that time when you're feeling awful 
I don't know if my wife did this on purpose, but as we're getting ready on Sunday morning, she used to play good godly music. You know why? Because on Sunday morning, it's a hectic lifestyle at the Teasdale household. We got six girls trying to get into, or five girls trying to get into the bathroom. Well, six girls, my wife included. Six, one lady and six girls, five girls. And I'm over here. I'm trying to do some last-minute study. And everybody's getting ready. There's breakfast going on. There's a little boy waking up. And, and everybody's just like, ah! Put some good godly music on. You want to run the race well? Run the race with music that glorifies God and encourages your heart. Lastly, forgetting your why. Now, I'm not going to re-preach the message. Purpose driven. But listen. You should know why your purpose of why you're running. Here's some honorable mentions and I'm done. Number one, not fueling up, not fueling up. Get up in the morning. Instead of having the Holy Spirit of God, you're empty. Not good. Number two, too little rest. Amen. When's the last time you got time in rest with peace and spiritual rest, right? Or physical rest. You know, we stay up too late sometimes, don't we? I know myself. I am a horrible person when it comes to going to bed sometimes. My wife, though, on the other hand, if we're apart, we both stay up way too late. But when we're, when we're together, we go to bed at 10 o'clock every night. 10, 11, 10, 11, right? That's great. You know, I, I think it's wonderful. If I get up at 10, 2 o'clock in the morning, guess what? I'm going to go to bed earlier. But if I know I need to have my devotions, what should I do? Go to bed on time. You know, one of the best things they say for educators, say for children, for them to learn, is they need to have what? Food. And what else? Rest. My mom taught kids here for a while, and they would have no bed. Some of the kids, families had no bedtime. They'd be up one, two in the morning. Of course they're not going to learn. And listen, if you got that spirit, you wonder, why does he always have an angry spirit? Why does she always have an angry spirit? She's not getting rest. He's not getting rest. You need it. There is some things that we can say there that goes both ways, both spiritually and physically. Here's one that I thought was kind of interesting. goes along with the idea of, of, uh, of uh, uh, working out, stretching, stretching. And I think that's kind of funny. But stretching goes along with the idea that you have to stretch your muscles so that they don't get what? Torn. Uh, you need to stretch your muscles so they don't get stiff. Faith is the same thing. You need to stretch your muscles of faith. Sometimes it takes a little bit of saying, okay, Lord, I don't know where this money's going to come from, but I'm going to be faithful to it. Uh, you know this person has a need. Hey, how can I help them? And yeah, you don't have the money, but you know the Lord has implanted upon your heart to do it. Hey. That's called stretching your faith a little bit, isn't it? It's trying of your faith. Purposely saying, God, you've put this upon my heart, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to trust you to follow through with providing for my need. And then lastly, whoo, should have put this as the top seven, inconsistency. Inconsistency. What is one of the hindrances that I see with most Christians today? Is being inconsistent. You know why your kids don't respect you? Because you're inconsistent. You know want, want to know why God's not blessing your family and uh, other things? You're inconsistent. You know, young people today, they don't want to, they want the money, but they don't want to work for it. And so you'll see a lot of kids that'll 
show up late. They're not there on time. Don't always do a good job when they are there. And so you'll find that they'll be basically sad that they're not doing any more well at work. Well, because they're inconsistent. And you're saying Christian life, consistency is the key. Faithfulness, what? It's required of stewards that have, we said this this morning. What is required of stewards at Brooklyn? Clay. You know? Be found faithful. You are a steward of what God has given you. You want to know why your kids don't respect you? Because you don't, you're not respectful to yourself. You're not doing what God has given you to do. They see you as inconsistent. Be consistent. Don't be a roller coaster. Always looking to say, hey, how can I be more faithful in these areas of obedience to Christ? You know, if you are like that and you're consistent with your faithfulness, people will know. Right? It's like clockwork. You turn on the light, what happens? Light turns on. You turn on the car, hopefully. Car turns on. Right? As a member of this church, can the pastor count on you to be faithful to the ministries of the church? To attendance of the church? Something to think about. Consistency is the key. All right? Can consistency be used in other ways? Absolutely. But first and foremost, if you're inconsistent when you run, what's going to happen? You're going to give up. I'm in the process of losing the excess pounds that I've gained over the last two years. And it's not as, you know, Sister Kim, I don't understand this. It's not as fun to lose the weight as it is to gain the weight. You know, you get a few pizzas in your belly and you feel good. You know what I'm saying? You don't eat for a few few hours and you're going, ah! I honestly believe it is a drug. The comfort food is a serious drug and it will cause you to become uh, dependent upon it. And uh, listen, I've found that uh, it takes a lot more character to uh, lose the weight than to gain it. And uh, I'm still learning that today. But listen, inconsistency, if you're not consistent with losing weight or if you're not consistent with dieting, eventually you'll go back to your old ways. Consistency is important. How do you be consistent? Let me clarify that. You're consistent by trusting the Lord to help you with it. That time when your temptation arises and you know you shouldn't be doing something and you should be doing something else, that's when you cry out to God, Lord, please help me with this situation. My flesh is telling me to do this, but Lord, I need your help. All right, let's stand together. Cassie's going to give just a short invitation, uh, or she's going to play the piano for the invitation, just a short one. You know, if the Lord's dealt with your heart, this is kind of a blast of a sermon. Kind of gives you kind of all over the place. But there are some things that I know that I preached on tonight that I'm convicted by. I pray that you were well, as well. And if the Lord has convicted you, come. I try not to speak during the invitation so you can deal with the Lord on things that you deem important with your relationship with him. So please come or sit there at the seat. It doesn't matter. Just make a decision to make 